I believe that mindful engagement with music grounds us in the experiential world of the right hemisphere and helps us achieve the mental balance that fosters happiness, meaning, and equanimity. Hi there, welcome to the MindRamp podcast. MindRamp's goal is to feed you evidence based information that can help you achieve qualongevity, longevity plus quality of life. Hi, I'm Michael Patterson, your host. We approach this goal along two fronts. First, we focus on what can be done to keep our bodies and brains healthy and resilient enough to live long lives, longevity. And second, we explore how to effectively use our healthy bodies and minds to flourish, to live well. In other words, how to manage our minds. In a previous episode, I focused on how music can help us to keep our bodies and brains healthy and resilient as we age. So this episode explores how we can use music to manage our minds and to flourish throughout our lives. If you've been following my Mind Over Muddled series of podcasts, you will know that I believe our minds get muddled because the two hemispheres of our brain fail to cooperate with each other. In fact, they argue with each other and create conflict and confusion. Things get even worse when the left hemisphere dominates and convinces us that its strange and alienated ideas are real and that the more grounded experience of the right hemisphere is not real. The antidote to this confusion is to rebalance the influence of the two hemispheres, restore a healthy collaboration between them, and to follow the wisdom of right hemisphere perspectives. So we need to pull back on activities that promote left hemisphere modes and expand our engagement with activities that make full use of our right hemisphere modes of perception. I believe that mindful engagement with music grounds us in the experiential world of the right hemisphere and helps us achieve the mental balance that fosters happiness, meaning, and equanimity. So that's the basic idea that I want to expand upon in this episode. How can we manage the way we think to maximize our quality of life as we age? How can we learn to stop doing all of the little neurotic things we do to drive ourselves crazy and make ourselves miserable? How can we instead learn to optimize our happiness, meaning, fulfillment, and peace of mind? How can we maintain equanimity in the face of whatever old age throws at us? I continue to struggle with these questions. I've had to look beyond neuroscience. I've expanded my search into evolutionary psychology, positive psychology, the science of happiness, philosophy, and even, uh, this is a big stretch for me, even into religion and spirituality. In my quest, I've found a lot of intriguing and provocative insights in Buddhism, Taoism, Zen, in Christian mysticism, in psychology, of course, and in the revival of research on psychedelics. It's only in the past year that I have found a unifying concept that helps me weave these separate strands into a coherent and actionable strategy. I've been profoundly influenced by the incredible scholarship of Ian McGilchrist and his exploration of hemispheric lateralization, explained in his two recent books, The Master and His Emissary in 2009 and the more recent The Matter with Things, 2021. McGilchrist's most useful insight, I believe, is that when the two hemispheres fail to collaborate and when the left hemisphere comes to dominate our thinking, 
as it has in today's world, we get a profoundly distorted view of reality, and we suffer all kinds of negative consequences. We get muddled in our thinking, our feelings, and our actions. McGilchrist explains that when the two hemispheres are collaborating properly, there is a natural flow of information that starts in the right hemisphere, moves to the left hemisphere, and then comes back from there to the right hemisphere. So right hemisphere to left hemisphere, back to right hemisphere. The danger is that without the moderating influence of the right hemisphere, we become lost in the virtual reality inventions of the left hemisphere. We embrace left hemisphere values of utility, stability, and self-serving exploitation. We come to see nature as merely a resource to be used and lose sight of the fact that the natural world is, is what sustains us and must be protected. When left hemisphere values dominate, we begin to lose our humanity. We favor lifeless machinery over organic growth and fecundity. When the left hemisphere dominates and the collaboration is lost, our minds get muddled. We get stuck believing in the concepts invented by the left hemisphere and lose faith in the reality we experience through the right hemisphere. We believe the map rather than the hills and the rivers we actually encounter. We allow mindsets and preconceptions to blur our experience of people and to blunt our understanding of events. We use emojis to express our emotions rather than smiling and hugging the people we love. We put more faith in what people say they will do than in what they do. So if it is true that our mind gets muddled when we lose the collaborative flow between the hemispheres and the left hemisphere comes to dominate, well, the antidote is simply to correct the misalignment. Easy to say, of course. Perhaps not so easy to achieve. But at least it's the beginning of a strategy. We must restore the collaboration of the two hemispheres and make sure that the right hemisphere is in charge. Now, to get a bit more specific, we must give precedence to lived experience over conceptual representations of reality. We have to recognize, recognize, when we are lost in a virtual reality world of the left hemisphere and pull us back into a reality based on what we really experience. It's the same basic risk management approach we use for brain health. One, extract ourselves from the risk factors associated with dominance of the left hemisphere misconceptions. And two, amplify the protective factors. Make sure that we give precedence to the holistic, contextual, experiential view of the right hemisphere. That's the basic strategy. So, Next, we need to develop specific tactics that will put this strategy into action. Mindful engagement with music is one of those tactics. McGilchrist calls music the language of the right hemisphere. The simple act of mindfully immersing ourselves in music grounds us in our right hemisphere and releases us from left hemisphere modes of perception. The right hemisphere operates in the present moment. It is the left hemisphere that pulls us into rumination about the past or anxiety about the future. 
So whenever we are in the moment, we are suppressing left hemisphere influences and embracing the way the right hemisphere relates to the world. Music is grounded in the present. It is an experience that takes place right here, right now. If we are mindfully listening to the music or making the music, our attention is fixed on the flow of notes, the melody, the harmonies, the textures. Flow is another characteristic of right hemisphere processing. The right hemisphere understands that life is about, about movement and change, and it's happy to flow with the flow, as it were. The left hemisphere, on the other hand, needs to define things and can't do that if things are forever changing. The left hemisphere interrupts flow, fixes things in time so that they remain stable and unchanging. Music, of course, is all about change. Music flows across time. The, the dynamic power of music resides in the relationship between the notes and how they change over time. A single sustained note isn't music. Music is found in the relatedness of different notes and different rhythms, in the betweenness of the phenomenon. Music helps us relax, in part, because it sweeps us into the natural flow of existence. Like stepping into a swift-moving river, we simply relax and allow ourselves to be taken wherever the current leads us. This is the right hemisphere mode of acceptance and exploration. In contrast, left hemisphere modes want to exploit experience. When in the left hemisphere mode, we fight against the current, trying to grasp and hold on to the fluid phenomenon, like water, like music, like experience, and it can't be captured. Life flows on in spite of the left hemisphere's best efforts to contain it. We enjoy the feeling of being swept away by the melodies of music, and in so doing become more comfortable with the right hemisphere's embrace of change and flow. Music is experienced as a holistic gestalt. It isn't the individual notes or a simple phrase that makes the song. It's the complete relationship between all of the notes. The whole is greater than the sum of the individual parts. The gestalt has meaning beyond its component parts. Again, this is the right hemisphere's way of processing reality. It looks at the big picture, the unity, the meaning of the connectedness. The left hemisphere is overwhelmed by the big picture, which is much too complex for it to understand, too changeable for the left hemisphere to grasp and categorize. Rather than accept the complexity and mystery, the left hemisphere breaks the unified gestalt into manageable bits and pieces. It examines fragments of reality simple enough to be grasped, understood, and categorized. But in so doing, the left hemisphere comes to believe that all meaning is to be found in the bits. It's a reductionist approach that loses sight of the big picture. It looks at a shard of glass as representative of a full mirror, believing the fragmented recollection to be the fullness of reality. Music is intuitive. It has its own meaning. The meaning of a piece of music is not something that can be conceptualized or intellectualized. I mean, it can, but 
the real meaning of music is found when you let go of that conceptualization and just let the music happen. The meaning of music is experienced, felt, intuitive. Music doesn't mean anything other than itself. We don't have to be told what a piece of music means. We just experience. We feel it. We're moved. Interpretations of art are left hemisphere activities that can be imposed after the fact. But when we simply feel the music and experience the joy, the sadness, the wonder, we are fully engaged through our right hemisphere. Music can be awesome. Consider the awe that is inspired by organ music heard in a vast cathedral, or a live concert where the vibrations of the music can be felt as well as heard. Consider the awe inspired by virtuoso performances like Yo-Yo Ma on the cello or Jimi Hendrix on the guitar. The evocation of awe connects us with two of the most important aspects of right hemisphere modes of perception, unity and selfless humility. Dr. Keltner, a positive psychologist at UC Berkeley, has a new book on the importance of awe. It's called Awe, the New Science of Everyday Wonders and How It Can Transform Your Life. Keltner has done research around the world investigating what conditions give rise to inspirational feelings of awe. The most mentioned, interestingly, is human morality, people being astonishingly brave, ethical, and forgiving. But other wonders that he identifies as awe-inspiring are natural beauty, artistic beauty, group synchronicity, epiphany, life and death, mysticism, psychedelics, and high on that list, music. Music has the power to transport us into a state of wonder and awe. So as I said, the two components most often associated with awe are first, a sense of unity and connection with something grander than ourselves. This is pure right hemisphere. The whole objective of right hemisphere processing is to explore and intuit the connectedness of all that we experience. Now, the second component of awe is a diminishment of self, of ego, of egocentricity, and of self-interest. When we feel awe, we are humbled by the vast, wonderful mystery of life. We feel small, often tiny and insignificant, but oddly enough, this reduction of self-importance is calming and reassuring. Our personal troubles seem inconsequential in the context of the grandeur that we experience through awe. We are humbled, yet feel united with something much grander and more meaningful than our singular self and our individual lives. Music shares the power to transport us into states of awe with other transformative events. These feelings of unity and humility are also evoked by mystical revelation. They are what people feel when enlightened, or when in the presence of God, or when connected with the Tao. They are part and parcel of the mind-altering effect of a psychedelic trip. We are awed and humbled by the organic splendor and diversity of the natural world. Music is a thoroughly embodied experience. 
We feel music with our unified body-mind. Music has always had an intimate relationship with dance. Every culture across all time uses song and dance to bring people together in the embrace of shared exuberance and joy. As people synchronize with the music and movement, they forge emotional bonds that bridge superficial differences. Individuals unite to become a united family. I have come to view mindfulness, mystery, and awe as states of mind that bring us into the most intimate connection with right hemisphere perspectives. Music is a natural, accessible, pleasurable, and effective way to access these conditions. So listening to music mindfully and making music with others are great ways to unmuddle our minds. Think of music making as one of the key tactics for advancing our strategy of balancing the influence of our two hemispheres. Well, thanks so much for listening. You know, you can support our work by subscribing to the MindRamp podcast series, and you can find more information on our website and through our Synapse newsletter. All right, take care of yourself so that you can live long and live well.